hey, it's me, your memory. Now, this episode is coming out on Memorial Day. That might be about something else, but I'm here to tell you that you've got to remember to do something. What's that something? you got to remember to listen to an episode of this podcast. Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First and foremost, I am coming to a city near you if you live in or near the cities that I'm about to announce. We've got some half Potterless, half TNO shows on the horizon. We've got those in Cleveland, Detroit, Toronto, and Hartford. So June 14th in Cleveland, June 16th in Detroit, June 18th in Toronto, and July 15th in Hartford. You can get tickets to all of those shows at potterlesspodcast.com slash live. I will also be in Chicago, Milwaukee, and Minneapolis in August on the 7th, 8th, and 10th, respectively. Those shows are just for the newest Olympian, though. But if you like that podcast and you like me or you need an excuse to listen to that podcast, you can listen to all the episodes and then boom, you can enjoy that. Those tickets will also be at potterlesspodcast.com. And later in the future, I'm going to have some TNO-only shows. Washington, D.C., September 28th, Philadelphia, October 21st, and New York City, October 22nd. Again, tickets for all those shows, potterlesspodcast.com slash live. Now, if you're unable to attend those shows, make sure you follow Potterless on social media because I will be trying to see if I can get at least one of those shows to be a live stream show. I just have to reach out to the venues and see if they have that capability. And if you want some extra Potterless content in your life, a reminder, as always, that you can still go to patreon.com slash Potterless. Even though that Patreon has been rebranded for the newest Olympian, you can still get access to five years worth of Potterless posts by joining the, oh, I just want the Potterless stuff tier. And you can get access to all the bonus audio and episodes and video and director's commentary and my notes, all that stuff is available for just four bucks a month at patreon.com slash ponderless. Now, what are you going to hear in this episode? In this episode, you will be hearing two comedic TED Talk style talks that I'm calling Fred Talks. I performed these in June of 2022 in Indianapolis, Milwaukee, and Minnesota St. Paul. This recording is from the Milwaukee show that was on June 20th, and I had a blast doing it. It was a very unique situation. I didn't have guests that were able to either travel with me or I didn't know folks in the area, so I went for some solo shows and I had a blast, and the crowd at this Milwaukee show also had a blast. I think that really comes through, and I think you will enjoy them as much as you will enjoy this episode. So without further ado, let's get into that episode as I perform two comedic TED Talk style talks, aka Fred Talks, the first of which is why my Hermione 3 theory is better than actually what happens in book three, which is the use of time turners. And the second is about how Ludo Bagman could have been the coolest villain ever if he was actually a villain and not just a red herring. So let's get into this episode of Potterless starring me and no guest because I was solo live in Milwaukee. What's up, Milwaukee? How is it going? How's everybody doing? Good. Glad to hear it. Okay, let's just fix the hair so I look presentable. All right. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. I really appreciate it. Welcome to Potterless Live. Now, now, I today took the train in, the Amtrak from Chicago to Milwaukee, and all right, yeah, cool. And boy, do I wish we did trains more. Trains are the best. It was great. So that no, was very fun. This is my first time in Milwaukee. It's a lovely, it's a lovely town you have here. I did appreciate when I was walking from my train stop to my hotel at undisclosed location that 
There was a bunch of like really cool old buildings. When they built Milwaukee, was there like a law that every building had to have a big clock on the outside of it? Because <laughs> I feel like I passed seven old buildings with giant ass clocks. <laughs> I was like, all right, we have a theme, we have a theme. But no, it's been really nice. Walked around, went to Sawson Parks, which was very pretty. It's, it's been a, a wonderful little stay here. You are all in for a treat because as Kelly told me when I was FaceTiming her backstage that the outfit that I'm wearing today is her favorite of the outfits on the Midwest tour. So <laughs> you've all looked out. I intentionally for all the cities, I was trying to find like outfits that could fit, whether it was like if there was a particular state animal or flower or whatever. And I had remembered hearing something about the Milwaukee city flag being particularly interesting. Do you guys even know what the Milwaukee city flag looks like? Where it's like someone's kindergartner was like, yeah, clip art is fun. <laughs> now, but I did see that there was like a new one that was like more simple and modern. Is that one official or is that just like artist rendering that we hope becomes? It's the favorite, so it's not like official yet. Okay, well, this, this outfit was inspired by that one because it looked good. I have socks that are like basically the exact same color, like the navy blue and the yellow. So it worked out really well. But yeah, as, as much character as the original Milwaukee City flag has, I hope you guys get that new one. <laughs> but no, I'm really excited to be here. It's going to be fun, and I'm excited for the presentation that we have for you today. Now, as you may have seen on social media and all kind of stuff like that, I will be today performing for you all a series of TED Talks, but so that I don't get sued by Theodore. Um, I have rebranded them as Fred Talks to make a fun little Harry Potter reference here. And though I don't have slides to show, there are slides here, trust me, they're great. But you know, this is a podcast live show, so what, what true better way to perform than with no visual aids, except from me and the voice. So I think it'll be fine now. We're gonna be doing two Fred talks here today, both on very important issues that have been covered at length on the podcast, and the first of which is <clears throat> why the Hermione 3 theory is better than time turners. <laughs> and the second one, which we'll be doing after intermission, is how Ludo Backman could have been the coolest villain ever. <laughs> so, we have got, we've got quite the, uh, quite the range of topics to discuss tonight. Both of which center on me being definitely right and smarter than J.K. Rowling. <laughs> so let's kick this off. <clears throat> Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Now, my Fred talk, sorry. Don't sue me, Theodore. What I'm going to be talking with you today is why the Hermione 3 theory, TM, 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 is better than time turns. I also don't think I can trademark it because J.K. Rowling did trademark all of the names of the characters, or at least like particular ones. And it's funny because if you ever play like a Harry Potter board game or something, you can see that some characters' names are trademarked and others aren't. So it's like Cedric Diggory, TM, and Cho Chang. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't think, if she could get away with trademarking that, wild, would be wild. No. For anyone unaware of what's going on, whether, you, was, is anyone here dragged to the show by a friend or significant other? Okay, amazing. <laughs> Round of applause for people dragged to the show. <laughs> now, something that I try to pride myself on when I do these shows is that everybody has a good time. So don't worry. Even if you haven't read Harry Potter, you haven't listened to the podcast, going to make sure you have a fun time. Because the, the highest compliment that I can receive at any of these shows is when someone either reaches out some way afterwards and they're like, I had no idea what was going on before we showed up. And I had a great hour and a half. Like, 
yes, good. That's what I want to be here for. So going to make sure everybody's fully up to speed. Now, in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which is the third book in the series, there's a situation in which Hermione Granger, who is a teenager, 13-year-old kid, maybe 14, I always forget her age because she's kind of older, but she wanted to take a lot of elective classes at Hogwarts and instead of do the normal thing, which would be adjust the schedule <laughs> or tell her, no, <laughs> you can take those classes next year, Instead, what the school decided to do was they went to the government <laughs> and they asked for semi-highly regulated government equipment called time turners that would allow Hermione to travel back in time a short distance so that she could take classes that were happening simultaneously. That was already established. She had the time turner and then Dumbledore also let Harry Potter and Hermione Granger, two teenagers at the school, used these time turners to save the day. So that's what we had going on in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. When I was reading this though, I had predicted that something different was taking place <laughs> because there were some seeds planted of Hermione being a little weird. There was the situation in which she was like really on edge in Trelawney's class and there was a weird like teleporting down the stairs situation. Something was afoot. So what did I do? I came up with a theory that's very good and very smart <laughs> called the Hermione three theory, tam, tam, tam. What I had predicted what was happening instead of going back in time to attend the classes that were happening at the same time, Hermione was splitting herself into separate versions of herself so that she could attend multiple classes at once. And while she was separated, each separated version would have a particular personality. And then they would smush back together <laughs> and retain all of the information, just like Neo in the Matrix when he goes, I know Kung Fu. Like, she would go to arithmancy and be like, ah, wizard physics. And it would all make sense. This is what I thought. And it's funny because like, it sounds ridiculous, but then you think about the things that actually happened in the book, and it's like, not that whack. <laughs> so, it's really strange, but not too strange given what else takes place. I still think it's a great theory. Now, here is why I am right and JK Rowling is wrong about this. There's a lot of other things, very obvious big things you could point to, especially during Pride Month, about why JK Rowling is wrong. But we'll get past that. Just for this specific situation, time turners are not good. Time travel is overused and splitting yourself into multiple versions of yourself is very cool. <laughs> Those are our three big pillars of why what I came up with is better than what actually happened. So time turners, what's interesting about them, J.K. Rowling put them in the third book, there's been a lot of different mistakes that she's made over the course of these books from plot holes to naming an Asian woman two last names from different cultures. <laughs> so lots of things when you go back, you go, oh, I don't really know. Maybe don't make goblins just a caricature of Jewish people. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe don't do that. But time turners are the only thing that JK Rowling has ever apologized for. <laughs> there are so many things that she has done that are broken in terms of story development or it's her trying to act like she did stuff all along, like she didn't, like Dumbledore, definitely gay the whole time. I knew it, I just decided not to say it. 
Lots of things that she could have apologized for, but the only thing she did apologize for is time turners. And if you go to the article that she wrote for the website formerly known as Pottermore, which is now wizardingworld.com, you can read her apology. And I was getting quotes from it in prep for this show. And I don't know why I was surprised, but it's the most sorry you feel that way apology of all time. You know what I mean? So here's a couple of fun quotes from J.K. Rowling. I went far too lightheartedly into the subject of time travel in Prisoner of Azkaban. Now let's stop after this first sentence. <laughs> I went far too lightheartedly into the subject of time travel as if time travel is real, like a real thing that she could get wrong. There's so many different things that have done time travel there's no wrong way to do it. It's not like, oh, if it doesn't follow the rules set forth by, I don't know what the first time, like the time traveler's wife. Is that the first thing, like a really old book? I don't know. You can't walk too lightheartedly into science fiction. It's fine, you make it up. Anyway, I went, to, I went far too lightheartedly into the subject of time travel for Zerazkaban. While I do not regret it, <laughs> second sentence, while I do not regret it, in parentheses, Prisoner of Azkaban is one of my favorite books in the series, which I also think is funny, because there are seven and you wrote all of them. <laughs> I really want to know what her least favorite books in the series are. I, I kind of phoned it in for book four. Like, very strange thing to say. Well, I do not regret it. It opened up a vast number of problems for me. J.K. Rowling, the main character of life. I'm the protagonist and my mistake made problems for me. It opened up a vast number of problems for me, because after all, if wizards could go back in time and undo problems, where were my future plots? So she's not apologizing for it being strange or broken in terms of how the mechanics work. She is apologizing because, oh man, if I do this, I can't write more books. She's very sorry. I guess she's apologizing to herself. It's very strange. There's a later excerpt that I've extracted here, and this is about when she viciously murders the Time Turners. So if anyone is unaware, in book five, she realizes, oh yeah, I can't have these things because anytime there's a problem, they can just go back in time. And also, raises a lot of questions, anytime you don't use them and people die and you're like, ah, dang. <laughs> <laughs> like in book four, Cedric Diggory dies and everybody's like, oh no. Remember what happened in the last book? <laughs> Ridiculous! So here's what she says about murdering time turners. Quote, I smashed all remaining time turners during the battle in the Department of Mysteries, removing the possibility of reliving even short periods in the future. This is just one example of the ways in which, when writing fantasy novels, one must be careful what one invents. For every benefit, there is usually a drawback. So she not only is she not apologizing for how they work or how they made things in the story not make sense or raised lots of eyebrows, but instead she is blaming fantasy writing. She is saying, when one writes fantasy novels, anytime someone invents something like I did, inventing time travel, JK Rowling, there's a drawback. This is just what happens. When you make something up, a problem presents itself, and I could never have seen this coming, because this is just how it works. 
So those are some quotes from J.K. Rowling's apology. The only other time she would ever apologize for anything is when she would do her annual apology thing on Twitter when it was the anniversary of a character's death day. And then she'd be like, ah, remember how I killed Dobby in the seventh book? Sorry, guys. Shouldn't have done that. Hey, remember that time I killed Fred? Sorry, guys. Look, you can kill characters, J.K. It's okay. You don't have to apologize for it. Anyway, she apologized for using time turners because she went too lightheartedly into the subject of time travel. Now, I have identified a plethora of examples of when time turners should have slash could have been used. The accusation against Sirius Black for Peter Pettigrew's murder, because if you recall, Sirius Black was accused and thrown in jail forever because they thought he murdered someone he didn't murder because the evidence was, ah, the guy's pinky's on the ground. That guy did it. Cool. Maybe you just go back in time and go, ah, he didn't do it. Don't arrest him. <laughs> Similarly, when Harry Potter was accused of using magic outside of school when he was supposed to in book five, they took him to trial. Even though he was 15, they put him on, I guess, the wizarding equivalent of the Supreme Court. And he's on trial. I guess the Supreme Court doesn't have like actual trials. It's a different court. Anyway, he's at a big high stakes court and he's just a kid, and he has to get represented by Dumbledore when all they could have done instead is just go back in time and go, oh, we saw what happened. Don't worry about it, Harry. Go on to being a teenager. Also, when Hagrid was accused of all of the stuff going on with Chamber of Secrets way back when, wasn't his fault. They ruined the guy's life. They expelled him, broke his wand. Everybody hated him for 50 years. Ridiculous! Could've used time turners. Also could've used time turners. Similar book situation. Anytime a kid was petrified by the basilisk in Chamber of Secrets, it kept happening again and again and again. And every time it happened, they went, man, I, what is going on? These kids just keep getting petrified. Whatever will we do? I don't know, but next book, when Hermione wants to take classes, I have an idea. Now, also when Winky was accused of being suspicious in Goblet of Fire, could have used it. Also book four, when Harry came back from the Voldemort surprise of fun with a dead Cedric Diggory, Dedrick Diggory, if you will, <laughs> comes back with Dedrick Diggory and everybody is shocked and floored and of course, Cornelius Fudge and all the people involved with the one newspaper in the Wizarding World decide, you know what, Harry did it. He totally did it. And we don't believe him when they could have just gone back and saw what happened. Very easy, simple solution, but no. Two more examples real quick. When Quidditch was invented, could have used time turners beforehand so that never happened. And then also that one time when I was recording an episode of Potteros and I said Harry was 13 in Goblet of Fire when he was 14. <laughs> Could have used time turners to save myself from lots of emails. Many, many emails were sent about something that really doesn't matter. But it was so annoying that I recorded an audio thing to put back into the old episode. And if you listen to whatever episode that is of Potterless, I'm pretty sure you will hear audio of me saying, hey guys, sorry. <laughs> I know I said that he was 13 and I know he's 14. This episode is four years old. What are you doing? <laughs> I know! I learned! <laughs> Did not anticipate how particular Harry Potter fans were before I started this podcast, but it's all good. 
Because then you get great things. Like everyone here is very punctual. When I was prepping for the show, they were like, do you want to get started right at eight? I was like, yes, they're nerds. They'll be here right on time. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> so we have established now that time turners are bad. They could have and should have been used differently. So now that that has been laid out, let's pivot instead to why my Hermione 3 theory, TM, 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 is very good. For anyone listening at home, if you heard a plasticky sound, it's because I kicked the money gun. <laughs> Intentionally. <laughs> so, the Hermione 3 theory, I really hope the microphone picked up that snort. That'd be good. <laughs> the Hermione 3 theory was established in Potterless episode eight. Episode eight. And you all kept listening. Clearly out of schadenfreude to laugh at me. <laughs> Single dish episodes, this guy doesn't know anything about reading comprehension. <laughs> Episode eight, Hermione three theory is established. And the reason was she was acting super on edge in Trelawney's class. She was very sassy and, you know, snappy with the teacher, which isn't typical Hermione. So that made me raise an eyebrow. She then is talking with Harry and Ron after the class, and she is frustrated about divination. She says, I got more out of arithmancy than I did out of divination. And Harry goes, you haven't gone to arithmancy yet. And then I went, ooh. <laughs> and I came up with a theory. Again, to reiterate, it was that Hermione is splitting herself into multiple versions of herself so that she could take classes at the same time and then she'd be reformed and retain all the information. Personalities would be split too. We only ever see the sassy Hermione. I didn't know what the other Hermiones were. I thought maybe super studious brainy Hermione, but I did note when I was going back and listening to these old episodes and go through the transcripts to prep for this, I did call divination before I knew the name of it. I called it tea leaf class, <laughs> which I stand by. <laughs> Now, this theory was further bolstered by the stair teleportation bursting backpack scene. So the first inclination that we have that something is up is when Hermione mentions she got more out of arithmancy than divination, even though she hadn't taken it yet. The second time, she's walking up the stairs with Harry and Ron, and then all of a sudden, she teleports to the bottom of the stairs, which is suspicious. The second suspicious thing of that, though, is that she has a backpack full of books, and Harry and Ron question her why she would have so many books if she's not attending so many classes. That's ridiculous. Now, what I think is more interesting that we don't talk about as much is that the kids at Hogwarts have backpacks. <laughs> I don't know if that's like Dudley's PlayStation where it just gets mentioned once and then never again in the books. I'd have to go back and control F for backpack. But I think that that might be the only time backpacks are mentioned. Of course, they're never in the movies because it wouldn't fit the vibe. But I think it's great that Hermione would just have a Jansport. <laughs> and you know she would have the one with the initials on the back. It would have the leather bottom thing too, you know, so that it didn't get scuffed up. Yeah, <laughs> like again, big nerds. Everyone's like, yeah, that's the one that we had. <laughs> But I think it's so fun, and, and genuinely, I do think that this is something that was a shortcoming in the Harry Potter series. Like, Harry Potter just takes itself too seriously at times, and I think that some of the most fun movies, TV shows, whatever, are things that aren't afraid to just laugh at themselves and be silly. And as you will see, this is carried over into my podcast, seeing that a lot of my merch makes fun of me. <laughs> with all of the Ludo stuff. <laughs> so I think laughing at yourself is very good. They should be okay with just embracing the silly. Yeah, they're at wizard school, but it's still school. Everyone has backpacks. Great, I would love it. But I digress into why my theory is better. 
So the Hermione 3 theory is cool and good. Here is why it is cool and good. Splitting into multiple personalities would have allowed for a slow reveal about what was going on with Hermione instead of just the two clues that we get and then big reveal, hello, here's what's been going on the whole time. We could have a slower reveal because this would have tense ramifications. Maybe she's getting too stressed out. Maybe she's acting up more in classes if the personality split thing is happening. We could have like a good suspense thriller movie or TV show where you slowly try to piece together what's happening. And maybe I'm thinking this because I've been marathoning my way through Severance on Apple TV Plus, and I'm very confused and I don't know what's happening, but I'm ready to go here. They're not paying me to say that. <laughs> Another thing that I think makes this theory better is that I believe magical spells are cooler than magical items. I think when you actually have a spell, it's more interesting than just here's a thing that does the thing. And the other interesting thing that you could have had with it is that this could have been a spell that Hermione developed because this whole situation could have been something that Hermione did on her own instead of being a school-sanctioned thing. Because it was weird that this was school-sanctioned and government-sanctioned. That's just such a big step for someone who's in her third year at the school. Now, what I thought could have been cool is if Hermione wanted to take all these classes. She goes to Dumbledore McGonagall, whoever's in charge of the schedule. She says, I would like to do it. And they do the logical thing, which is to say, no. <laughs> it's not how this works. You will be here for many more years. You can just take those electives at different times. Or they could have worked together, maybe give her a tutor. She takes classes after school, something. But what would have been fun is if she asks, they say no, and Hermione goes, fuck you, I'm gonna do it anyway. <laughs> I'm gonna invent a spell that lets me split and go to all these classes at the same time. And honestly, that's something Hermione would do. She would totally do that. Someone trying to restrict how much knowledge she, she can consume? I'll show you. The other thing that could have happened, it would not have happened, but it could have happened is that Harry and Ron could have had a heart-to-heart -heart with Hermione about overcommitment. Now they wouldn't have done this because they are as dense as rocks and they don't think about anyone except for themselves. But you could have had a nice conversation with Hermione about how she's spreading herself too thin, trying to do too much, she's overcommitting, and that is a good lesson for children, and these are children's books, so it's a cool thing that could have been taught to kids reading them. Now, the other thing that I came across, and I only came across while preparing for this presentation live show, but I feel very good about it, and I wish I had this back in episode eight, because then I would have looked very smart. <laughs> is that if Hermione was splitting up into multiple versions of herself, that would actually fit with a theme in the book. Because when you look at a lot of the other characters in The Prisoner of Azkaban, you have people that have different versions of themselves. Let me give you the examples. First, Sirius Black. You have the version of Sirius that before we get to know him, we think is who Sirius is, which is this big criminal that murdered people and it was a menace to society. But instead, he's a nice dude and all he wants to do is be Harry's pseudo dad, and then sometimes, you know, hang out with tropical birds in caves. <laughs> Turn into a dog sometimes, a simple man. But also with the dog thing, he's got two versions of himself, human serious, animagus, dog serious, different versions. Lupin as well. We've got Lupin, who's just trying to be a regular teacher and teach kids about defense against the dark arts in a fun, interactive way. But also, we have Lupin as a werewolf and all of the different complications that come along with that. And then we also have Pettigrew, who people thought was this 
victim, but instead he's a literal and figurative rat. <laughs> if Hermione was splitting herself into multiple versions, she would fit thematically with the rest of the things that are going on in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Look at me, if I wrote this in sixth grade, I would have got a 115. <laughs> Incredible after the fact reading comprehension from me. <laughs> but alas, didn't think of it in the moment. Only now. But I think it really would have been a cool thing, and I just think that the time travel element of Time Turners are very messy in terms of how they work, all the questions that it raises about why weren't these used in the past, why weren't these used in book four, why weren't these used in book five before they got viciously murdered in the Department of Mysteries. The other thing about them getting murdered in the Department of Mysteries, I know that like the cabinet fell over and then it was them like caught in a time loop or whatever, which seems like very particular and, and also not how time turners work. But I know that at least some of the descriptions was that, oh, they were all damaged. Ow. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> if it's a cabinet, the one that's on the bottom shelf, how would that break just from a cabinet falling over? Unless the time turners are made out of glass. Like, I just don't understand how they would break. Unless, I don't know, I'd have to like go back to see exactly how the cabinet, I don't think it was like punted over. <laughs> but I don't know. Very interesting way that they got murdered. Now, going back to this theory, the Hermione 3 theory, I will gladly say that for all of you here in the crowd, anyone listening at home, if you want to go onto Archive of Our Own and write some fanfic about this, have at it. <laughs> you have my full permission to do it. And speaking of fanfiction, we do have to address something that happens with Time Turners later on in the Harry Potter saga. Because even though Time Turners were introduced in book three, and even though Time Turners were viciously murdered in book five, and even though after that, J.K. Rowling apologized for it, the only thing she's ever apologized for, and said, oops, shouldn't have done that, what did she do? She brought them back in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Yeah, 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 it's super fun. Now, I won't spoil the plot of it if for some reason you don't know what's going on and for some reason you want to see it. It has been reduced from two plays to one, so at least there's that. It's not very good, you shouldn't do it. <laughs> Go see a different play. There's so many better plays on Broadway. <laughs> Perhaps see a show at the Schubert Theater, even though they spell Schubert wrong. <laughs> Time turners come back. So I won't say how exactly they're used or whatever. It's bad, but they do come back. They come back, and not only do they come back, but they come back, and they work differently. So again, no spoilers, but... Basically, the whole premise of Time Turners in The Prisoner of Azkaban is that they were just supposed to go back a little bit in time. And Time Turners in Cursed Child let people go way far back in time. And also the Time Turners that are in The Cursed Child are like rogue, renegade Time Turners that people make in secret. And I just don't understand the logic. And I don't know, I'm very confused by The Cursed Child, how it was made, because you've got J.K. Rowling, and then the other two people who worked on it. It makes me think that the other two people just wrote the whole story, and they weren't fully caught up on all of the stuff in the extended Harry Potter universe, including J.K. Rowling's very sincere apology on Pottermore. 
It feels like they wrote the whole story and the J.K. Rowling was like, ah, oh, those are the, t- uh, nah, okay, fine. And J.K. Rowling, send, submit. Let's make a play and charge people twice as much because they have to go twice. But she brings them back and I don't get it. I don't understand how you can have something that is bad and then you've decided it's bad, which like against all odds, J.K. Rowling has decided something she did wasn't perfect and planned for 20 years. And then you bring it back in The Cursed Child? You're one big thing of sequel work? And there were years in between the last book and the last movie. You had all this time to deliberate. And the best thing you could come up with was, what was that thing that I hated so much? That I had to apologize for it? Yeah, let's make that the plot. Absolutely ridiculous. So, the moral of the story here is that I'm very smart and good. <laughs> no, no. The, <laughs> the true moral of the story here is to not take yourself too seriously. And if you make a mistake, maybe learn from it. <laughs> Instead of literally repeating your own mistakes, and it's funny that she's repeating her own mistakes for a thing about time travel, inherently the thing where you go back in time to change your mistakes. But alas, that's what happens when you go into the world of time travel far too delicately. (laughs) So that is my first Fred talk here for you this evening. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, what a time, Turner. (laughs) All right, Pass Mike, why don't you take a little bit of a breather and make way for me, Editing Mike, as we get into Wingardium and Ridosa. If you are looking for more content from me, Mike Schubert, in your life, you know that you've got the podcasts that I make beyond Potterless. We've got the newest Olympian, my Percy Jackson podcast. We've got Meddling Adults, the mystery podcast for charity. We've got Horse, the comedic basketball podcast about the NBA and the WNBA. And it's all about basketball for folks who might not understand the sport and want to learn about the sport. And then you've got Modern Muckraker, a scripted comedic investigative journalism show. Beyond that, you can also go, as I mentioned in the intro, to patreon.com slash Potterless, get access to all of the bonus content that I posted to the Potterless Patreon for five years for just four bucks a month. But let's say you want something beyond a podcast. Maybe you want something that I've started recently. Maybe you really enjoy live stream things on Twitch or replays of them and slash or D&D. Well, guess what? I am doing D&D on a bi-weekly basis, meaning every other week, with some fellow podcasting friends of mine, Gabrielle Urbina, Emma Scherzarko, and Beth Eyre. It's called 20 to Midnight, and it's a D&D 5e stream where we are racing against the clock to save the world. And it has been so much fun. Gabrielle's world building is absolutely fantastic and there's so many different things i don't want to give away too many spoilers but if you just think of some of the coolest beasts across media and tv a lot of them have shown up so not necessarily your run-of-the-mill DD stuff things that are from more modern adaptations or some things that don't necessarily often get associated with DD, 
beasts and technology and stuff. It's cool. It feels like anything is a possibility when Gabrielle introduces it into his world, and I love it. So you can watch those streams at twitch.tv slash 20 to midnight, 20TO midnight, or you can go to our YouTube page, which is also 20 to midnight, and you can subscribe and watch all the replays of the old streams. They're broken up into one hour chunks, really easy to start and stop if that's your style. And if you want to just learn more about the whole thing, you can go to our website, 22midnight.com, 20TOMidnight.com. And now before we get back into the episode for the second Fred talk, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of those ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live abroad, you might hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are, so it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club, and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to ArenaClub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is for Bucks right there. Wow. Anyways, that's a slash club.com slash Potterless for 10% off your TNO. first purchase. That's a so wild offer. Like 10% off a $40 slab pack in a more right transparent Anyways, way. That's Arena whether you're a sports nerd or Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds purchase. like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. What's up, everybody? Everybody have a good intermission. Good. I missed you all so much. Good, 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 good. Okay. Now, <clears throat> back into very serious mode because we have more Fred talks. Or one singular more Fred talk to discuss. For the second Fred talk of the evening, we will be discussing how Ludo Bagman could have been the coolest villain ever. He could have. Now, for anyone unaware... Anyone who hadn't listened to the show got dragged along. People were just told, trust me, this is going to be a very fun show. Here's what happened with my good old friend, Ludo Backman. 
So Ludo Bagman, here's uh, here's what I thought was happening. He's a character that you meet in the fourth book when they're at the Quidditch World Cup, and he seems a little bit suspicious, and I really picked up on his suspicions. I thought what Ludo Bagman was doing is that he was actually evil, and he wanted to give Harry Potter over to Voldemort's Death Eaters. I thought that when it got to the Triwizard Tournament, when Harry's name was selected, even though it should have been, I thought, Ludo put his name in the Goblet of Fire! And I thought because Ludo Bagman was in charge of it, he facilitated Harry getting picked, and he kept trying to help Harry when he was participating in the Triwizard Tournament because he wanted to make sure that Harry won, because if Harry won, that meant that he would touch the port key cup and get teleported to Voldemort's surprise Oh, fun so that's what I thought was going down. Now, what actually happened? Ludo Bagman didn't matter. <laughs> didn't matter at all. Didn't matter in the slightest. Here's what actually took place, though, with Ludo in Goblet of Fire. When we first meet him at the Quidditch World Cup, he bets Arthur Weasley one galleon, which is between five and ten dollars, not a very hefty bet, bets one galleon on the winner, and then the twins, Fred and George, bet him 37 plus galleons. It's a very specific bet. It's something like 37 galleons, 10 sickles, five canuts, and a fake wand. Just a very specific bet. They bet Ludo Bagman this very particular set of money, which definitely was just their entire life savings, <laughs> that the Ireland team would win but Crumb from the Bulgarian team would catch the snitch, which is a very specific bet. And honestly, you can't fault Ludo Bagman for taking that bet because that is an obnoxious bet for the twins to make. It is so specific and there's so many other possible outcomes that could have happened that it is a great bet for him to take. Now, after he places this bet, we then see Ludo Bagman assisting in the Triers of Tournament, which is run at Hogwarts. Shouldn't have happened at all. No way that you should do this thing ever. Children died and they said, ah, let's just wait a little bit. <laughs> and then we'll try it again. Surely this won't happen again. This time it's different. He then acts suspicious throughout the book. He tries to give Harry advice as to how he can do well in the tournament, even though Ludo Bagman himself is the person who gives him and all of the other champions the speech about not accepting help from anyone. And he tries to give Harry advice more than three times, but one of the times, Harry just shuts it down. But basically every time Ludo tries to help him, Harry goes, you just told me not to take help from anyone. Is this a test? Who are you? Why are you talking to me? I'm 14, leave me alone. He also scores Harry a 10 in the first task, even though Harry Potter gets hit in the shoulder by the dragon while doing the task. And even as the narrator, Harry goes, this makes no sense. 10 is a perfect score. I did not have a perfect performance. What is going on with Judge Ludo Bagman? Ludo then has heated conversations. We see it in the background that he has some sort of heated conversation with goblins. He also has heated conversations with children because he's arguing with Fred and George via letters. <laughs> a grown man arguing with children. <laughs> via letters. And it is then revealed at the end that the only thing that matters with Ludo is that it's revealed that he is in over his head 
with gambling debts, and he bet on Harry Potter to win the Triwizard Tournament so that he could pay off the goblins who he owed a bunch of money. Now, there's a lot of problems with Ludo Bagman as a character within the Harry Potter world, just how he fits in. Ludo Bagman is a government employee, and he is the head of the Department of Magical Games and Sports. <laughs> and he is a known gambling addict. <laughs> when I was first thinking about this and trying to draw a comparison to it, I was thinking, okay, that would be like if Adam Silver, commissioner of the NBA, was also addicted to gambling and people just knew about it. <laughs> and they still let him run the NBA and bet on the NBA. Ludo Bagman is running the Quidditch World Cup and he's also betting on the Quidditch World Cup with multiple people. He then facilitates and operates the Triwizard Tournament and then at least secretly this time bets on the Triwizard Tournament. But when I was thinking about the Adam Silver comparison, it doesn't even do it justice because not only is Ludo Bagman in charge of the magical games and sports, but he also works for the government. It's ridiculous that he is in charge of magical games and sports. He's betting not just on anything, he's betting on the sports that he is overseeing and people go, oh, that Ludo. <laughs> he used to be good at sports, so we like him. <laughs> Truly absurd. Truly absurd. What happens actually in the fourth book is that the bad guy is not revealed to be Ludo Bagman. And I knew he wasn't the big bad. I didn't think he was secretly Voldemort. I thought he was just facilitating Voldemort. We learn that the person who actually was facilitating Voldemort is a guy by the name of Barty Crouch Jr. Now, I didn't see this coming. And a lot of people, many of you probably didn't see it coming because in the beginning of the fourth book, they tell you that Barty Crouch Jr. is dead. <laughs> they tell you that he's fucking dead. And then 85% of the way through the book, they go, just kidding. <laughs> Master of suspense, J.K. Rowling. It is not good writing, it is not good suspenseful writing to say that a character is dead, is actually not dead, and not leave any sort of clues. That's just cheating. There were no seeds planted throughout the fourth book there was no sort of inclination that Barty Crouch Jr. might be alive. All we do is we see the pensive trip, so we just understand who he is. There's no planted seeds. There are only lies. <laughs> and Barty Crouch Sr., his dad, he is kind of suspicious. But even when he is suspicious, he's not giving away any sort of clues as to what's happening. All he does is just leave for extended periods of time, and then they ask Ludo Bagman, who's always working side by side with Barty Crouch Sr., hey, where's Barty? And Ludo goes, I don't know. And that's why I thought Ludo was very suspicious. Because these two dudes are always by each other's side, and they're working together on everything, and they don't talk ever? Very suspicious. But no, Barty Crouch Sr. just leaves. It's not like he is doing anything that would allow the reader to pick up on what's going on. I have only read each of these books exactly one time, but I feel like <laughs> if I went back, I wouldn't find some sort of thing where it's like, oh, if you read between the lines, this character who's dead isn't dead. Now, when we think about what's actually going on with these plots, the whole winky Barty Crouch Sr. thing is actually pretty cool. The only thing that makes it upsetting is that 
it just gets all revealed at the very end and there's no sort of hints for the reader to be able to figure it out. And Barty Crouch Jr. using Polyjuice Potion to disguise himself as Mad-Eye Moody and become the greatest method actor of all time, putting Daniel Day-Lewis to shame. That's really cool. Like it's actually pretty cool that he does all of that and turns a kid into a ferret and teaches people how to murder each other. That's cool villain shit. That's cool. The only thing that isn't cool is that we didn't think that this guy could possibly be the villain because we were told that he was dead. So we've now established that the whole Barty Crouch Jr. reveal was not good. Now how instead could the Ludo Bagman situation have been adjusted so that he actually would have been a bad guy? So this is my first foray. I will dip my toes into the waters of fan fiction. <laughs> I have read fan fiction, and by that I just mean one, because I read my immortal and I decided I've done it. This is, this is the pinnacle. I don't need to read anything else. I've done it, this is it, great. Why did, you know, it's one of those, you, you got it? Why did we make any more? I know people love reading fan fiction. Just not for me. Now, Ludo Bagman, this is now all my headcanon that I've developed. Ludo Bagman, as you know, wildly in debt after making many failed bets. This information could have gotten to Voldemort through Rookwood. God bless you. Through Rookwood who was a friend, and that's actually revealed in the fourth book, is that Rookwood is a family friend, I believe, of Ludo Bagman's dad. So, maybe Rookwood understands, because I think it's just known <laughs> that Ludo Bagman gambles a lot. He could have told Voldemort, hey, there's this guy, and he's addicted to gambling, and he's wildly in debt, and he's also a ministry employee that is in charge of the Department of Magical Games and Sports. I think we can get this guy. <laughs> so Voldemort could have pounced on the chance to have this person in his pocket. I don't know if robes have pockets, but you know what I mean. And the reason beyond just having someone in a high position of power, government employee, somebody that you can use to twist things like the Triwizard Tournament so that you can take revenge on your teenage nemesis. <laughs> it's like getting his first pimple and you want to murder him. Anyway. <laughs> The thing that takes Ludo Bagman to the next level is that he is so incredibly likable. People love this dude. We see the flashback in the pensive, the trial scene. We see that after he is acquitted and he is not proven guilty, they let him go, people in the trial want to like take pictures and get his autograph and all this stuff. It's ridiculous. So he's so likable. He's in a position of power. He's in over his head in debts. This would be the perfect person for Voldemort to bring in and use as a corrupt member of the team. Now, there was another thing when I was prepping for this that I thought of that I hadn't thought of previously, sensing a theme here. <laughs> what was interesting is that there was multiple times in which Ludo Bagman was fascinated with Fred and George making fake wands. Early on, when they were placing that first bet, he thought the fake wand was really cool. That's how it came into the bet. But then also, in a rare instance of Ludo Bagman being a cool, chill dude, he offers to put his contact at Zonko's in touch with Fred and George about making more fake wands. He's gonna help them out. That is very cool. Now, it could have been very villainous. 
is if Ludo Bagman's fascination with fake wands was actually so that he could secretly swap out good guys' wands with perfect fake replicas of their own wands. And then if there was some sort of attack, you try to use your wand and you go, oh no, this is a pretzel stick. <laughs> Just saying, could have been pretty cool. So we've answered the how Ludo could have been bad, but why? Why would he have done this? Obviously, to pay off his debts, because he was wildly in over his head in debts. And it is interesting. We don't know exactly how this bet that he places on the Triwizard Tournament goes down. We're to believe that he made it with the goblins because he already owed them a bunch of money, and he was like, look, I'll place this big bet, and then I'll get your money back. Not exactly sure how it worked. But it is ridiculous and very confusing that someone would take up Ludo Bagman on a gambling bet because the reason he's in debt is from not paying people gambling bets. Now, just like we said, it was smart for Ludo to take the bet from the twins. It was probably smart for the goblins to say, oh, the guy in charge who's also a judge. Not only is he in charge of shit, but he's fucking judging it too. Surefire bet. I kind of get it, goblins. But beyond the paying off the debts thing, Ludo could have done this to get revenge on Barty Crouch Sr. Because something that I didn't realize on the first read, but on when I was reading this back in prep for the show, because when I did old episodes of Potter, I would do like five to ten chapters at once. Shout out to me doing book one in two episodes. No, don't, don't applaud me for poor planning. <laughs> When you go back and you look in book four, Barty Crouch Sr. is the person who put Ludo Bagman on trial. He thought that Ludo Bagman was passing along information to the Death Eaters through Rookwood, the family friend. So if Ludo Bagman wanted to get back at Barty Crouch Sr., he could have first done all of this, screw all this stuff up, but then he could have framed Barty Crouch for all of it. So he could have done all of the stuff because weirdly, do we ever know why they're both doing all the stuff? Like, why are they both there? I can completely see why in the movies they put no Ludo Bagman in there, because why do you have two dudes doing the same thing? And it's just a poor use of government funding. <laughs> but he could have done all this stuff still, you know, he's... He's trying to help out Harry. He's given the overly good scores and judgment. He's trying to facilitate the cup where he made it so that Harry's name spit out. He makes the cup so that it's a port key. And he could just be sprinkling little breadcrumbs all along the way that point back to Barty Crouch Jr. and his weird accent that keeps changing in the movies and his bad mustache. <laughs> and all roads could have led back to Barty Crouch Sr. Now, if this happened, would have been awesome. Why would it have been awesome? First, because it's basically like if Michael Jordan became a true villain. Now, I know we've made the Adam Silver comparisons. Now we're going Michael Jordan because, as we've established, Ludo Bagman is a very famous athlete that had success both locally and internationally. He was great on his local Quidditch team. He was great on the English Quidditch team. People love this dude. And that is also what happened with Michael Jordan. And similar to Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, big gambling dude. Huge gambling dude. And I guess Milwaukee doesn't like Chicago, so let's dunk on Michael Jordan for a little bit. Because as a Knicks fan, he brought me much turmoil during the 1990s. <laughs> now, here's 
just some quick asides about Michael Jordan's gambling. Two key examples. First, if you ever go to a sporting event, you know how they will do the jumbotron things during timeouts or in between quarters, innings, whatever. Sometimes they will do the thing that's some sort of race. I don't know what they do at the Brewer Stadium, but like at the Yankee Stadium, for example. Oh, this. Oh, you, oh, oh but you, the, okay. So that's a physical race. The sausage race is super fucking cool. God, it's cool. I mean the digital races, like when they're on the Jumbotron. So maybe none of you know, because every other city is worse than Milwaukee. But what these other teams will do, because they don't have the sausage race. New York, for example, there's three subway lines that you can take to Yankee Stadium. It'll be on the Jumbotron where it's like, all right, is the B, the D, or the four going to get to Yankee Stadium first? And then they race, and then it's like, oh, it won. And it's different every single time. At the, It's not stupid. It's no Okay, so the subway one actually isn't stupid because there are three subway lanes that go to the stadium and any sort of delay can happen. Like, there's no rhyme or reason. But some of the other ones, it's not as cool. Like in Seattle, for the Mariners, they just have like three speedboats in the water because the, you know, the Puget Sound or whatever. And in Chicago, for the Chicago Bulls, they just have like bulls race through the city of Chicago and then one of the CGI bulls wins. Now, what Michael Jordan used to do is that he, before the game would start, he would talk to the people who were doing the operations and he would ask them, hey, which bull's gonna win during the game. They'd be like, oh, bull number two. And then he would go to his teammates during the timeout or whatever when they were playing it, and he'd bet them like $100 each on which bull would win, and he would know the answer. Another fun gambling story from Michael Jordan is that when they were flying from game to game, this was before teams had all private jets, so they were flying in airports, checking bags, doing the whole thing. He would go to airports, and he would say, oh, because I am Michael Jordan, the people working at the airports are gonna see that on my bag luggage, on the tag, and they're gonna put my bags out first. And then everyone else on his team would go, that's ridiculous, that is not how it works. They're just gonna take our bags, whoever's first, and put them on the conveyor belt. Now, what his teammates did know is that before they boarded the flight, Michael Jordan paid all the people working at the airport $50 each to put his bags on first, and then he bet all of his teammates more money than he paid the people to make sure he won these bets. So Michael Jordan isn't gambling out of talent or proficiency in blackjack or whatever. He's just cheating and then betting on it. Take a page out of his book, Ludo. It's the only way to get out of debt is by making bets you cannot lose. Anyway, Ludo Wagon could have been like Michael Jordan. The other reasons that Ludo being a true bad guy would have been awesome is that, weirdly, we don't see a lot of just straight-up corruption in the ministry. We see a lot of weird things. We see a lot of incompetence. We see a lot of just poor decisions being made. But we don't get, like, that classic Batman Gotham corruption where you just have somebody that is in over their head and then one of the fun Batman villains goes, hello, blah, 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 corruption, let me take over the police or the Justice Department or whatever. Straight up corruption's kind of fun sometimes in the villain setting. This could have been Ludo Bagman. The final reason why this would have been awesome is I would have been right, and that's always cool. But unfortunately, slash fortunately, I was wrong, and it's okay, because at the end of the day, it's way more fun to make fun of me for the Ludo Bagman thing than it is to be like, oh yeah, remember that time Mike predicted that Ludo Bagman didn't matter? No, that wouldn't be fun. You wouldn't make merchandise about that. It's all okay. And getting back to something that I said in the first Fred talk and holds true here, it's all good because laughing at yourself is fun. And laughing at my wrong guesses in this situation is very fun, and it does 
make for great merchandise you can buy in the back of the shop. <laughs> <laughs> but that is my final Fred talk. Thank you all for coming to my Fred talks. All right. Past Mike, you've done it. You did two Fred Talks. Why don't you take a little bit of a breather for one more edition of a very quick Wingardium Adridosa. Hey, it's Editing Mike. Hope you're having a lovely time listening to this episode. First, I just wanted to give a bit of context for something that will come up in the Q&A. Someone will talk about my love for Milwaukee's intermodal station, which I talked about at length and I cut it out of the episode because it was so Milwaukee specific. But basically their train and bus station is called the intermodal station because there's multiple modes of transportation. I thought that was a very cool name. That'll come up later. The other reason we're taking a break here is because since this is such a long episode, going to put in a couple more advertisements that are either going to be read by me or they're going to be inserted locally, meaning that they might be specific to your location wherever you downloaded this episode. But once those ads are complete, we will get into the very fun Q&A to close out this episode of Potterless. So now we can move on to Q&A to round out the show. There have been a lot of fun questions sent to Podcast at gmail.com. You can still send some in, but we got a lot of very good ones. I'm going to take this first one just at random from longtime listener of the show, Kelly Schubert. <laughs> the subject says, live show cue, more like love show cue, and then first line in parentheses, sorry, my phone did a typo, so I came up with that awful subject line. And from experience, the amount of times I've tried to make various captions where I said live show and I put love show and then after backspace because it'd be very weird if I was announcing new Potterless love show. <laughs> Question from Kelly is, would you rather never eat peanut butter again or be forced to eat a grapefruit every day, in parentheses, no brown sugar? <laughs> Now, this is a very specific question from Kelly because she knows that peanut butter is my favorite food in the world and grapefruits are my least favorite <laughs> because grapefruits are terrible and bad. And this is, I don't know the name of the comic. I think I was just doing like stand-up in Houston, but there was a guy who's doing a joke about grapefruits and he said, whoever discovered the grapefruit must have been so hype when they saw it because they were like, oh, giant oranges. And then they took a bite and they went, no, it tastes like sadness. <laughs> so yeah, I do not like grapefruits at all. However, I love peanut butter so much that I don't think I could give it up. I think I would just have to tough out eating a grapefruit every day. And maybe, you know, it would just be a great way to start the day of just you eat a grapefruit and you know, eh, it's all uphill from here. <laughs> so I think that would be what I would have to do. They're bad with everything. I mean, if you have a fruit, fruit noted for having lots of sugar in it and you need to add more, something is wrong with the fruit. <laughs> it's a broken fruit. We should stop eating it though. It's juice is very good in mixed drinks. Now let's move on to some other questions from people that aren't my wife. All right, so this question is from Riley and Gina, and I'm answering this one because it was sent in at 3.54 p.m. <laughs> Dedication to the cause. The rest of the email is very sweet, but the question from Riley says, I, Riley Hufflepuff, and my friend Gina Slytherin, not racist, thank you. <laughs> Always got to establish that in the part of the shows that if you say you're Slytherin, that you're not racist. Otherwise, we wouldn't field the questions. <laughs> Wanted to ask you a question for the show tonight. Who is winning in a battle of sass slash wits, the Harry Potter trio or the Percy Jackson trio? 
Very interesting, very interesting. I've had some other questions about who would win in a duel, but as far as just Battle of Sassanwitz, so we've got Harry, Ron, and Hermione, we've got Grover, Annabeth, and Percy. When we're looking at the trios there, in terms of just sass, I feel like Harry, good sass. Hermione, good sass. Ron, not so much. <laughs> Percy Jackson trio, Percy, incredible sass. Annabeth, pretty good sass. Not a bunch, she's more of just like, gets disgruntled or like lack of patience. Grover, too wholesome for sass. So weirdly, very well met. I do, it's so hard. <laughs> Fuck, this is really hard. Cause I feel like, I feel like Percy's better with the like trash talk sass. Harry's better with the like getting really angry sass, but he, Sarah, Harry's very good at like talking back to people in positions of power, not giving a shit. He's pretty good like when he has to push back against uh, what's her face? The pink one. Umbridge, thank you. When he has to push back against Umbridge, he pushes back against multiple ministers of magic. Pretty good stuff there. Hermione also busts out some good ones against bad people. Punching Draco in the face is very good. Saying that Ron has the emotional range of a teaspoon, pretty good. So I think at this point in time, and it might just be because I've only read two of the Percy Jackson books and seven of the Harry Potter ones, I feel like just Sass and Wits, I'm gonna give the slight edge to the Harry Potter trio. However, there's still room for improvement with the Percy Jackson trio. Maybe Grover starts dissing people. <laughs> so I can revisit this question in a couple of years, but for now, I'm saying slight edge to the Harry Potter trio. Now this question comes from Grady, Austin, Itzel, and Matt, who I do recognize as people who were at the Chicago show last night. <laughs> I guess technically last afternoon. Did anyone else come from Chicago and also come to this show? Shout out to you for dedication. Now Grady opened this email the same way that they opened their email in Chicago, which was because I was on stage with Eric Skull, so it was two dudes up there, SUP FELLAS, in all caps, but this is SUP FELLAS, you and Fred. <laughs> the question is, we know you came up south from yesterday's show, but what is one thing on your first trip to Wisconsin you've never done but want to do? There's a lot that I would like to do. I would like to, and I don't know if everyone gets to do this or if it's just the mascot, but if I went to a Milwaukee Brewers game, can I go down the slide? <laughs> I want to go down the slide. <laughs> Whether I'm allowed to or not, I want to go down the slide in the Milwaukee Brewer Stadium. <laughs> I don't know how one makes it happen. I don't know if I have to come, become like big celebrity status where I do like the opening pitch or whatever. But Mr. Brewer, talk to me. I want to slide. I'm not, I mean the man who owns the Brewers, John Brewer. You know. I want to slide down the slide. Okay, here's a question from Lindsay. Lindsay says, hi, Mike. One of my favorite things about Potterless is your out-of-context spoilers, i.e. knowing that Snape had a huge crush on Harry's mom. Do you wish you had any tiny spoilers for TNO? And the answer is no. <laughs> I'm glad that I didn't know legitimately anything going into the Percy Jackson books because even though there is an episode of Potterless called Episode Zero, everything I know about the books before starting, which the point of which was to show people listening to the podcast, hello, during this podcast, I will be saying some spoilers because I know some of them. And I still get some very harshly worded emails <laughs> from people saying that I ruined the series for them. The series that is 25 years old. They will say things like, I didn't know, spoiler here, and you said it in episode three. And I always have to tell them, you should have started with episode zero, not episode one, I'm sorry. Even the trailer tells you to start with episode zero. You fucked up, not me. 
Also, how did you go 25 years without knowing that Snape killed Dumbledore? Whoa, man. How have you enjoyed the not internet for the past two and a half decades? Power to you. Here's a question from Courtney. The subject line of the email was, thought of this question three months ago. <laughs> Dedication. Hey, Mike. So I'm a Ravenclaw and literally thought of this question the day my friend and I bought our tickets three months ago. My question for you is, if you could do the Potterless tour with any member of the Harry Potter series, who would it be and why? It's a really good question. <laughs> I think, also, if you're wondering, Courtney, as she's clarified in her email, is the person who snort that we have called out. So I literally get it called out at every show I go to. I'm glad you've embraced it. It's great. It's wonderful. No, it's, I love laughs that stick out at shows. It's wonderful. It's great. Do not be embarrassed by it. It's wonderful. Now, if I could do a tour with anybody from the Harry Potter universe, I feel like the best person, just because we've seen experience with being good at being funny and talking into a microphone when lots of people listen, is Lee Jordan. I think Lee Jordan would be perfect. I think Lee Jordan would be great. Clearly, they are good at being silly and being able to talk on your feet, improvise stuff. A lot of the shows that I do, when I do the brackets or whatever with Johnny, a lot of those are mostly improvised. So to have someone that is good at improv comedy, I feel like would be a big asset. The other answer, I would love to do a show with Troy Louisley just so I could get to know the man. <laughs> Different goals there. This is from Josie. Josie says, hi, Mike, it's my birthday today. Happy birthday, Josie. Congratulations on the birth. So happy to be spending it at a Potterless live show. Have you tried cheese curds while in Milwaukee? And if so, were they a tildy, squeaky, a tildy? <laughs> now I have heard about this because a couple of my close friends in Seattle were from Milwaukee and they told me about squeaky cheese curds. I don't believe that I've had squeaky cheese curds. I'm, I know, it's, I, I, I've never lived or visited Milwaukee. <laughs> that is how. I would love to get some at some point. When I come back, we'll make it happen. There were many emails about people asking me if I had eaten cheese curds. So, Josie, you're the cheese curd question representative. I've not eaten them, but I did have cheese curds in Montreal, and they were squeaky. So I've had squeaky cheese curds, just not the Milwaukee squeaky cheese curds. Look, I'm sure that I, I get it. They're probably way worse. So I will have to at some point have them. Unfortunately, my bus tomorrow is at 8.45 and I feel like not the best breakfast option. So I'll save it for my next trip. I also don't know if I could bring cheese curds onto a bus for six hours. <laughs> they might kick me off, but I'll have it in the future. Now, this next email comes from Corey and it has me very excited. The subject line was, if you like our intermodal station, dot, dot, dot. And then there's a picture and an email that says, you should hear about the recombobulation area at our airport. It is the best place to hurriedly put your belt and shoes back on as TSA scowls at you, pick related, and then it's a picture of something legitimately called the recombobulation area. That slaps. That is awesome. I'm very sad I'm not flying out of Milwaukee because I would love to visit the recombobulation area. Thankfully, I'm TSA pre-check, so I don't have to take off my shoes and belt and stuff. But don't boo me. I get it for free with my credit card, and I also fly a lot. So I have it. It's also not very expensive. You should totally do it. TSA pre-check's great. They're not paying me to say this. But 
I would appreciate a recombobulation area because I am very good, and by good I mean bad, about frantically thinking I've left something somewhere when I'm at the airport, and I will roughly five to 12 times take off my backpack and make sure that my laptop and my phone and my headphones and all that are still in there because I am petrified of leaving something somewhere. So I would love a recombobulation area so that I could take my backpack, remove everything, and go, yes, of course, your laptop charger's in there. You've already checked five times. This next question comes from Anna. Anna says, I'm Anna, I'm a Gryffindorf. My question is, do you still get emails correcting you on mistakes from old Potterless episodes, Percy slash Weatherby, underfed slash underfed? And if so, which are the most annoying ones? P.S. My best friend I dragged with me just finished the books and I was explaining the show tonight. It took about 10 minutes of me explaining and reminding who Ludo was for her to recognize the character. Now. I do not get these emails anymore because like I did with the 13, 14 thing, I've gone back into the old episodes and added audio things for people to stop emailing me. I think the most annoying though was the 13, 14 thing because in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> when you are 13 years old, you suck. When you are 14 years old, you suck. Doesn't change anything. <laughs> Thank you very much. This next question comes from Mitch. Mitch says, what's good? I have a Percy Jackson question. You've talked before on TNO that you have some knowledge of Percy Jackson and Greek mythology. My question, is there a Greek myth that you know about that has not made an appearance in the PGA series that you would like to see or are expecting to encounter at some point? Love the show, love the shirt, love the hair wizard on Mitch. <laughs> now, the only Greek myth that I can really think of that hasn't been covered yet in the books is I think it's part of the Odyssey when Odysseus is coming back and his either wife or betrothed Penelope, right? She's like fending off suitors just by like an extended ruse of various delays and making people do tasks for her and they have to shoot a bow and arrow through a bunch of handle holes and stuff. I just like that she was just messing with dudes for hundreds of pages. <laughs> and if that found a way to come up, I guess it kind of did in the Sea of Monsters with Grover lying about the, the bridal veil stuff. But I just remember reading that in high school and thinking, this woman is super cool. <laughs> I like this. So I think that's the only story that I would really like to see. This next question that comes in is from Itzel, who's in the crew of Itzel Macready in Austin. You know, the Marauders. <laughs> Itzel says, Shoops, first I want to thank you for bringing my best friend and I together when we met at your Chicago show last year. It was very great after the show. They said that they were sitting next to each other, near each other at the Chicago show last year, didn't know who they were, and then became best friends. So look to your left, look to your right. If you don't know someone near you, you might find your best friend or the love of your life. Who knows? I mean, really, everyone in this room lives near you and likes the not just Harry Potter, but the specific podcast. You got a lot in common. This could be a whole meet and greet. Anyway, on to the question. If you could pick everyday objects to turn into the millennial version of the Deathly Hallows, what would they be? And then an example is provided, the weighted blanket of emotional support. <laughs> For example, a pretty great question. Along the lines of weighted blanket, I feel like I would go with the sweatpants that feel like they just came out of the dryer. Pretty good. Pretty good stuff. I feel like that would be nice for eternal comfort. I also feel like I would have the either skillet 
or Dutch oven that is never dirty. Because what I've happened in my life is that I don't have a bunch of pots and pans. Instead, I just consolidate. Instead of buying a lot of nice ones, I just take all the money and put it towards one, and then I just use that for everything. So I have one big old Dutch oven that I love, and it may or may not have been a big reason why I wanted to get married to Kelly sooner rather than later. <laughs> so we could throw it on the registry. But I use that for like basically everything. And then I use my skillet for almost everything else. It's like those two pans, like the number one and the number two. Now it's great because they're very good, but it's not great because I have to wash them a lot. So if I had some sort of pan that was very versatile and I never had to wash, that would be super cool and I would love it. I feel like the final thing I would have would be, and it could be a couple different things, but I feel like shoes is probably the easiest one to have like the shoes that go with every outfit. I think that would be nice. Cause it's, yeah, we've all been there. Especially if you're packing for a trip, it's very hard because you'd be like, all right, if I pick these shoes, especially if you've like colored shoes, like if you have white shoes, sure, gonna go with everything unless you're wearing like white pants or something. But even in that case, it can work. But it's tricky where it's like, ah, if I bring the blue shoes, I can't wear these pants and blah, blah. It's like super annoying. So if I had some sort of shoes or just like they would change color to whatever outfit you were wearing, be great because shoes take up lots of room in suitcases so it's sometimes hard to justify bringing more than one pair so it would be very nice to have shoes that could change into whatever best suited the outfit that i was wearing this next question comes from caitlin and it's titled the majestic hodag <laughs> my name is caitlin i'm a ravenclaw and even though i'm not a slither and i want to clarify that i am not racist <laughs> above and beyond didn't need to do that Thinking back to when you went through the Fantastic Beasts book, <sighs> I remember you said how much you loved the idea of the hodag. Did you know that it originates from a town in Rhinelander, Wisconsin? Did I say that right? Okay. Four hours north of here. The lore behind it is pretty cool, and the town is covered in hodags. There even is a hodag store, and then an image is attached, and this thing looks like a gremlin uncle saber-toothed tiger hybrid, and it is super cool. I love it, and I'm not surprised that one of the cool things that I actually liked from the Fantastic Beasts book was not something J.K. Rowling made up. <laughs> okay. So this question comes from Abby. Abby says, hi, I'm Abby. I'm an incredibly proud Hufflepuff. New York City question, not Harry Potter related. I just went to New York for the first time this March and I loved it. I opted to not see Cursed Child and saw Come From Away instead. Very good choice. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard really good things. On my next trip, what play or musical should I see next? I will say Town is super good. It's very, very solid. Obviously, if you've got the money, see Hamilton. Like... Open up the bank and go. The, here's the real reason to go. Hot take, Lin-Manuel Miranda's not Hamilton anymore. So the person playing Hamilton will be better. <laughs> He's great. Maybe just not the lead role in the play. He's not I, I, thank you. Love him. Glad you wrote it. Glad you did all the stuff. But the nasal rapping. Mm. <laughs> Look at my son. So yeah, you could see somebody else. Instead, and it would be better. So that would be my thought. Also, I think Little Shop of Horrors is coming back, and Little Shop of Horrors is always a good time. I remember seeing Little Shop of Horrors when I was living in New Jersey, and I was like a teenager or something. Might have been at the Schubert Theater. And there was just a giant plant that was operated by three people, and it was really cool. I also, it hasn't come back to Broadway, but if it does come back, I'm going right away. Spam a lot? Because I went when I was like 11, and I didn't get any jokes. I had no idea what was going on. Everything went over my head. I didn't understand dry British humor. So if that came back, now that I'm a grown adult, that would be super cool and fun to be like, ah, I get it. 
those would be my picks. You can't go wrong if you've already decided not to see Cursed Child. You're going to be great. This is another one from Greddy from Greddy Austin Insula and Matt the Marauders. Have you ever had a new Glarus spotted cow? Okay, just so that it's easy, I'm going to say Greddy and only Greddy. What the fuck is that? Okay, as long as I can legally drink this on stage, people in the, uh, at running the show, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's Wisconsin from the front row. Then, sure, I would love to try it. <laughs> if you wanna like get it and bring it here, I'll sip it for the final 12 minutes before the, the show is over. But because, oh, everything is better than Malort. <laughs> Not, it's a pretty low bar. Okay, so here's, here's a question that I, I wanted to have pegged, but uh, it went back to the top because there were multiple replies. This is from Mercy. Mercy first says, please talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo. I may have lured my boyfriend in by describing you as the amazing podcaster behind horse and the same person who pitched the Giannis as a Greek god, hashtag basketball reference. Now, I'm glad that this was brought up so that like the door of it was open. Um, oh my God, thank you so much. <laughs> Oh, okay, great, wow. Thank you for the beer and the question. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so, okay, so just to get back to this beer, um, what, where, where, where does this fall? Is this like the beer that only costs like four bucks or, or I guess Milwaukee, like a buck 50? Um, is this like the good cheap beer? Like where are we at in the technically craft beer? Okay, cool, 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 cool. Hey, great stuff, love it. You're doing great, Milwaukee, not surprised. Based on the two dudes in Seattle that I knew from Milwaukee, they loved beer. <laughs> and the Packers. And they really enjoyed both of those things at the same time. <laughs> so anyway, Giannis Antetokounmpo, I'm glad the door was open because I was very happy that the Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA championship last year. It was very cool. I was very happy for you all. Love Drew Holiday a lot. I need his skincare routine. Has anyone ever seen Drew Holiday's complexion? Fuck, it's good. As someone that still deals with adult acne at the ripe age of 30, super jealous of Drew Holiday. If you want to maybe open an incognito window so you don't look really weird and Google Drew Holiday skin. <laughs> he looks great. He's got a great complexion. Now, I was very sad that the Milwaukee Bucks did not end up making it into the NBA Finals this year because one, I may or may not have bet money on them to do so. It's okay, it was New York started doing sports betting, so it was free bet. I didn't actually lose money, I just lost potential money. But also, you're playing the Boston Celtics, and I hate Boston sports. A lot, good, I'm glad we can all find unity here. I really would have loved it, and the hot take that I will have is like, I feel like if Chris Middleton doesn't get hurt, the Bucks repeat. Like, I feel like you guys would have done well, and it's unfortunate, injuries always happen, it's sad, so. I, I'm sorry that that happened, but. You got Giannis, it's pretty cool. See him, in, seeing him at the Fiserv Forum. <laughs> Whatever Fiserv does. Mercy also asks what shoes I'm wearing. They are Nike Air Jordan Mid, uh, Le Maison Rouge crossovers. It's a French boutique company, I don't know. Uh, the sneakers that I get, like I, I'm not a big sneakerhead. I bought a couple and then Kelly was like, you should stop and I was like, you're right. I think I have like four pairs of funky shoes, but all of my shoes are just ones that the sneakerhead community decided were not cool, and then therefore are not as expensive as some of those other shoes. And I 
Love it. <laughs> I like when these people decide shoes that look pretty are not cool, because then I get the pretty, not cool shoes, and it's fine. So I guess the lesson here is zag when people zig, <laughs> and you can save some money. Okay, this is a really fun question from Ashley, who does clarify that she is a Slytherin and not racist. And she did clarify 37 minutes after sending the first one. So clearly the email was sent during intermission, then heard the Slytherin thing and <laughs> replied and went, ah, fuck. <laughs> Good on you, Ashley. <laughs> Ashley says, hello. Do you think the colors of each house reflect the personality of the people in the house? And I hadn't thought about this, but I really do. Let's go through it one by one. Hufflepuff as yellow, I think fits. Yellow's a very well, gold, it's yellow. <laughs> but sure, gold, gold, yellow, whatever. That sort of hue. I do think it works well for Hufflepuff because I feel like yellow is just a very warm and welcoming and inviting color. I know it's like a nice color that you can use in like a baby room if you don't want to be like, it has to be blue or it has to be pink. I also could be conflating this with the fact that yellow is Kelly's favorite color and I find her to be very warm and welcoming. And also she's a big old Hufflepuff, so maybe I've kind of conflated the two, but I've always viewed yellow as like a happy, nice color. And to get even more awe, that is why yellow became Kelly's favorite color is because her aunt was talking to her about the color yellow and said that to her, yellow was always a color about like happiness, you know, smiley faces, flowers all of it, the sun, like all of the things that are yellow are nice and happy and warm. And when Kelly's aunt thought of those things, I'm getting choked up. <laughs> Kelly's aunt thought of those things, she thinks of Kelly. So that's why she always thought Kelly's favorite color should be yellow. And that's why Kelly's favorite color is yellow. So yes, I think yellow works out. Yeah. And the Milwaukee Brewers are yellow. So, okay. Brewers have very cool uniforms. You guys have done very well. Now, Blue with Ravenclaw, I think works. I feel like blue is like a nice studious color. I feel like if I think back of my high school libraries, a lot of like blue carpeting or walls and stuff like that. Green is Slytherin, totally works. <laughs> snakes, usually green. Or at least cartoon snakes, we've decided that they are green. But also when you think of like cunning and conniving that gets into a little bit of like green with envy, kind of like evil, mysterious territory. I feel like if you're not picking black as like the, you know, evilish thing, green makes sense. And then red as Gryffindor, yeah. What color are stop signs? Red. <laughs> Why are they red? So that they're in your face. <laughs> That's not Gryffindor. I don't know what it is. So you've nailed it, Ashley. I don't know if JK Rowling intentionally did, but she'll take credit for it. <laughs> She'll be like, yeah, I totally knew it. And Nagini was a Korean woman the whole time. <laughs> okay, now this question is from Elliot. Do you prefer slugs or snails? Please, and then in all caps and italics, please answer. Also, you look like the one teacher at an acting summer camp that I can actually trust. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Thank you so much, Elliot. Slugs or snails? I would say snails. Here is why. I have never accidentally stepped on a snail. <laughs> I have accidentally stepped on a slug, and it's gross. I've also eaten snails, because I did live in France, and they are delicious. Because the thing about escargot, what they don't tell you when they market it, it as a gross food, is that when you have escargot in France or anywhere else they make it, they just fucking load it up with garlic and butter. And it just tastes like garlic and butter. And we all love garlic and butter. 
it's great. This also reminds me of something that I thought of originally for the um, millennial version of the Deathly Hallows. I would love the, hey, that smells good starter pack, which is when you start to cook onions with olive oil, salt, and pepper, and you've just put the garlic in, and whoever's in your, sh whoever's in your kitchen goes, hey, what are you cooking? That smells good. <laughs> just to have that right off the jump, since most of my recipes start with softening up some onion, salt, pepper, and garlic. That'd be great just to have that immediately. Maybe I can have that in my pot that always stays clean, so. Anyway, I think I would prefer snails over slugs. I also just feel like the little shells are cool. And the fact that slugs don't have them, you're missing out. Cool accessory, why not? Live a little, let's go. It's the right answer? Okay, cool, great. <laughs> I feel like that would work everywhere except for like, what is it, UC? Santa Clara or whatever, the banana slug school. I'll have to keep that under wraps if I ever do a live show there. Um, Lauren asks if the Money Guns will be at TNO live shows. Of course. <laughs> Money Guns will be with me forever. <laughs> it's like a confetti cannon that I can recycle and is also easier to clean up afterwards. <laughs> Another question here. And I'm glad Becca has asked this because the venue we're performing in is called Shank Hall. <laughs> When I got the email from my touring guy who said, there's this venue, however many seats, here's a deal, blah, 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 it all seemed great. And then I saw the name, it was Shank Hall. I was like, that's unique. Let's do the show there. And you know what? Good decision. Everyone here has been wonderful. Becca says, since we're in Shank Hall, what would the wizard version of a Shank be? Now, we don't see what kind of things they give the prisoners in Azkaban, so I don't know. So I'm not sure what they could do. But I feel like an effective one, like, I don't, it never came to be a weapon, and I'm surprised, but I feel like the broken mirror from Sirius could have been doubled as cool little let me see where my friend is thing, but also, yeah. So I think that that could have worked. This is from Lauren. What group of friends would you have realistically been a part of at Hogwarts? The Golden Trio, the Marauders, Ginny slash Luna slash Neville, etc. Definitely not the Marauders, because in high school, I was not cool. <laughs> Golden Trio? Probably not, because I feel like if in maybe year one, the stuff happens to them and you give them a second chance, you go, okay, fine. Bad thing happened in year one. Okay. Evil has been vanquished. Surely this can't happen again. After year two, I'm not hanging out with them anymore. <laughs> huge liability, huge risk. Hanging out with Ginny, Neville, Luna, sign me the hell up. That is the right group. That would be fantastic. And I feel like it would fit the group of high school students that I ended up being tight with. We had a very specific clique where we were the nerdy kids who also had some sort of extracurricular interest, whether we played varsity sports or we did plays or we were in band or whatever. Everybody like did something. And it's funny because I remember being kind of associated with that group sophomore, junior year and being like, oh no, I'm not popular and like feeling kind of bad. And then by senior year, I was like, this is the best group to be in. We try hard in school, but we still have personalities. Why did I ever doubt this group of people? And with Neville and Ginny and Luna, like, yeah, Luna doesn't give a shit about anybody, what they think about her. And that is like the true place that you want to operate in high school. Being concerned with popularity in high school is whack. People who've peaked in high school, why would you bother? You can't even order beer. <laughs> Horrible time to peak. Horrible time. 
You can barely drive a car. The other thing is you've got just a bunch of very nice people. It's a very diverse group. So I feel like I would want to be with that trio. And though I don't necessarily want JK Rowling to write this because I don't want her to write any more books. <laughs> I do still very much have interest in figuring out exactly what happened at Hogwarts when the trio was away and we had that trio there, like the silver trio or whatever. I would love to see what they were doing. So maybe if there's some fan fiction about that, maybe I'll indulge myself and break my, my immortal only boundaries to see what happened there. But on that note, we will conclude this live episode of Potterless. Thank you all so much for attending. Give yourselves a round of applause for coming out to the show. I very, very much appreciate it. Also want to give a huge shout out to everybody at Shank Hall from sound to hospitality to running the merch table. Everybody here has been so nice. So give them a round of applause. Made my life super easy here. There is still merch if you want to get it on your way out. I am just going to clean up the stage here and then pack up my stuff and go because I have an early bus, so I cannot hang afterwards. But I really appreciate you all coming out and being super fun and sending in a bunch of great questions. This was a blast, and hopefully I can come back to Milwaukee, maybe do a TNO show. Could be a lot of fun. So thank you all so much. This was great. It was my first time here in Milwaukee, and I had an absolute blast. So unfortunately, the night has come to an end, but let's not cry because it's over. Let's smile because it happened. And as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, when they are about to chow down on a bunch of squeaky cheese curds. <laughs> Wizard on! Thanks so much for coming out, everybody! Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Potterless. Potterless is created by Mike Schubert. It is hosted by Mike Schubert. It is edited by Mike Schubert. It is produced by Mike Schubert. And over the course of the many months of which we were a weekly regular podcast, a lot of other people helped on Patreon financially. And that was very cool. And now we have a cool community and I still get to post stuff on the feed and it's in an interesting spot, but I'm happy to be here and I'm happy that you are listening and that you did listen and hopefully that you will continue to listen. I'm going to be posting more of these episodes from old live shows. I might be doing them more frequently over the next couple of months. I know it was kind of every other month. I might get to a point where I try to do one a month. We shall see just because I have so many shows now. I want to try to get them out more quickly. So make sure you're subscribed and you follow us on social media so that you can follow along, especially if I have new tour dates and stuff. So we are on Twitter. We're at Potterless Pod. We're on Instagram, Potterless Podcast. And you can just go to the website as well, potterlesspodcast.com, if you want to learn more. As mentioned multiple times, you can get access to everything we ever posted on Patreon for just four bucks at patreon.com slash potterless. And if you want to see what I'm doing, me, Mike Schubert, in the podcasting world and beyond, you can follow me on social media. I'm at shubes17, S-C-H-U-B-E-S-1-7 on Twitter and Instagram. And you can go to my website, which is shubes, S-C-H-U-B dot E-S. I've got my podcasts that come out more regularly, The Newest Olympian, Horse, Meddling Adults, and then Modern Muckraker. You can listen to those wherever you get your podcasts just by searching the names. And also, as mentioned in the mid-roll break, I've got my D&D 5e stream with other podcasters called 20 to Midnight on Twitch and on YouTube and on our website, 22midnight.com. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Thank you for sticking around. And I look forward to bringing more live show content to your ears. And oh, also, I'll be at LeakyCon in August. Come through. I'm going to be doing Potterless stuff and 
TNO stuff at LeakyCon in Chicago in August. It's going to be a blast. Come on through and maybe if you use a code Potters, you get 10% off. I'm not positive, but yeah, I'll be doing some fun stuff. They haven't given me my schedule just yet, but whenever I do get that schedule, I will post it on social media. So either follow Potterless or me personally, and I'll post about it. I think that's everything. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, Wizard on!